Take out your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We'll get there in just a moment. As we uh, think about how we celebrate Christmas, I was reading an article earlier this week. Is Christmas a pagan holiday? That's been up for debate for a long time. Did we just take on uh, Christmas? So we had something that was going on while the pagans celebrated the winter solstice. You know, Tim Fox wrote an article about that that I read is Christmas a pagan holiday. He's a part-time math teacher. He's got an MA in apologetics from Biola University. And one common claim is that a pope decided in the fourth century, the 300s AD, to decide a date. And he arbitrarily picked December 25th because Sol Invictus was the celebration of the winter solstice and it went on for a period of time and it was drinking and immorality and revelry and all those sorts of things and that was the thought and this was during the time of Aurelian he was the uh, emperor of Rome at that time but it's interesting since the Bible doesn't offer a day of the birth of Jesus why has it come to be celebrated on December 25th well one person thinks it's because of this it's because it, it was dated based on Jesus' crucifixion. Now stick with me. The Bible describes the crucifixion as occurring during Passover, which has a definite date in the Jewish calendar. Using this as a reference point, some early Christians calculated that Jesus died on the 14th of Nisan, which is March 25th, according to our calendars. It was also believed that Jesus died on the same date that he was conceived. So if Jesus was born nine months after March 25th, that would be the date that we recognize as Christmas, December 25th. Of course, this may not be the actual date that Jesus was born, but this shows that some Christians recognize December 25th as the day of Jesus' first birth before the time of the Emperor Aurelian and this pagan celebration. Furthermore, to spin the pagan Christmas theory on its head, it's likely that Aurelian purposely chose December 25th as the date of Sol Invictus despite Roman Christians. Thus, Christians did not appropriate December 25th from the pagans, Timothy Fox believes. Pagans may have appropriated the date from us. Interesting twist. Been a lot of speculation and study on that. Whenever Jesus' birthday, birthday was, the important thing is that in 2022, we're commemorating his virgin birth and all the ramifications of God coming to earth to be Emmanuel. And when you break that Hebrew word down, Emmanuel, Emmanu means with us, and El always means God. El Elyon, El Shaddai. Well, in this case, God with us, Emmanuel. So let's turn to the story of the wise men. And even though this event did not occur on Christmas Day, and many of our nativity scenes are not accurate, but it's invariably linked to the Christmas story because the wise men came to Bethlehem sometime after his birth, probably within two years, to pay homage Homage to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. 
They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall, be, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, and I emphasize house here, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. And let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great story as we think about how these magi traveled from a distance as they studied astronomy most likely and they saw the change in the skies and knew something supernatural was happening happening and we thank you that they followed and were obedient to search for the truth the truth that's in Christ and to worship him lord help us to have that same approach as well today to worship the king of kings and the lord of lords as we think about this little baby in the manger this morning we pray and ask in Jesus name amen so we're going to look briefly at the passion that Jesus had for the people that he created he came to save them from their sin, to secure all of us for eternity who will trust in him and have purpose in life. One of the greatest things, and when I became a believer at age 14, it was like a light switched. All of a sudden, I completely understood what God's purpose was accomplishing in my life. It was a process over time, but I mean, all of a sudden, it just became clear that he had a direction. He had his hand on me. He had created me for a reason. And that's part of what I call the great adventure of the Christian life. So first of all, in your outline, Jesus came to present himself as the long-awaited Messiah. And I put in there John the Baptist because he was the one in Luke 1 and John and 3 and other places pointed people to the Lamb of God, the Messiah. There's a bunch of verses there if you want to do some reading on that. We're just going to look at a few. But as we think about the, the, today, we're going to focus on Christ's number one mission for coming to planet Earth, and that was to rescue and deliver his people from sin and the darkness of their soul. That first Advent message that we had back on November 27th, where we talked about the plan and the preparation of the Father, we talked about in Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium, the beginning of the gospel. It tells us in Genesis 3.15 God says, I will put enmity, that means hatred, opposition between you and the woman speaking to Satan and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Notice the phrase here, her offspring or the seed of a woman. It's interesting if you read through all the passages in the Bible in Galatians 4 and other places, Jesus is never referred to as Joseph's son. It was always the seed of the woman or Mary's child, as the angels talked to her, or as the person writing would put it. And that's because he was born of a virgin to fulfill the 
God's mission of dying a substitutionary death on the cross. This part of the Christmas story is vital and it's not up for debate. If Jesus came and he was only God or he was just God alone, he would not be able to, on our behalf, pay for our sin. He had to be man to accomplish it. Jesus is called the second Adam. He came to pay for our sin that started with the first Adam in the Garden of Eve when the serpent beguiled her, deceived her, and she ate the fruit and passed it on to Adam. If he was man alone and not God, he could never conquer death. He could have never conquered sin. He could have never conquered Satan and hell. For that, he had to be God and man at the same time. He was the Messiah sent to deliver people initially, and all the world would come through the gospel out of Israel to the rest of the world so they could be saved as well. Notice God's heart in 1 Timothy 2. It says, who, God, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Great verse talking about his purpose for coming. He went and pled our case and went before God and said, the blood that I shed covers those who trust in me, covers and removes their sin. Well, there was a period of silence from God to Israel after the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, was written. There was no prophet. There weren't any visions from God. The Roman emperor swept in and took control of the Jewish homeland during that intertestamental period of time. They were subjugated to a pagan government. In Isaiah 9, 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. It was a difficult time for the Israelites. They were yearning for a Messiah. They wanted a deliverer. The Jews were looking for a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman government and establish himself as the king of the Jews, as ruler, and set up his rule and reign in Jerusalem. But the people of that time missed the point of what was predicted in Isaiah as the prophet describes that the Messiah must first come as a suffering servant to redeem his people. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The wise men told Herod and the religious leaders that they were led to Bethlehem by a star to find the king of the Jews, Jesus. In Matthew 2, continuing that, that narrative in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked, by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. And the reference there is Jeremiah 31, 15. So Herod, that's partly how we know that this didn't happen the night that Jesus was born. We read earlier that the wise men came to a house. So most likely they had moved into uh, some place there in Bethlehem after that night of birth. And we also know that 
that Herod killed the children two, two years age and under, the male children, because it was of that time period. So it could have been up to two years of age, Jesus was, when he fled and went to Egypt, and this all occurred. Jesus came as the Messiah. And so here's the application. May we see the people still today who are wandering in the darkness and need deliverance from the Messiah. That's so important. I meet so many people daily that I run into at the Y, at Scott Community College. They've never really heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And who, who among us is going to share that with them? It's so important. So may we see the people still today in need. They're wandering in darkness. They're wandering in their sin, and they need that deliverance from the Messiah. Second, Jesus came to be proclaimed as Savior of the world. And that was when the angels came, as we sang just a few minutes ago, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Savior means deliverer. It means preserver. God is active in the lives of his people. The Greek word for Savior there means that God is active. He comes down and he gets into the details of people's lives. He gets down into the world of our dirt and our mud and all the things that we do. He's a transcendent God. He wants to be with us. He brings conviction of sin when he decides to save people. He gives the gift of repentance. According to Titus 3.5, God through the Holy Spirit regenerates and brings us back to life, our soul, which was dead in sin. The angels declared to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 1 Timothy 4.10 says, For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. I like what Jude says, this great, great benediction at the end of his book. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, be majesty, be dominion, be authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. So our application here is, may we proclaim, as the shepherds did, that God has come to rescue and preserve mankind from sin. That's the beautiful thing about salvation, is he doesn't just save us and say, okay, here's the book, follow it, and do it out of your own will and your ability. We would continue to fail, but he gives us the Holy Spirit, a new nature, to help us to know how to overcome sin in our lives. Lastly, this Christmas morning, Jesus came to prepare the world for when he comes at the second advent as the king of kings. And we he see that in the reading of the story of the wise men because they came and bowed before him, giving him gold, frankincense, myrrh, all symbols of what was going to go on in his life. As our scripture reading reminded us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem as predicted by Micah the prophet and fulfilled with Luke 2 passage and the wise men coming to honor him as the king of the Jews. As we focus on Christ's advent ending today, this Christmas day, we need to look forward to his second coming. And when Jesus returns for his second advent, it will be a totally different encounter than the first time he came. It's so interesting that Dale McCauley's here today because he sent me an email, yeah, yesterday, and I was going to read this. And it was from his email. This is from Robert J. Morgan. 
He said, most people don't understand Christmas. They never think beyond the babe in the manger, but Christmas is all about emptiness, an empty throne, an empty manger, an empty cross, and an empty tomb, all of which fill our empty hearts. It's a circuit. When Jesus traveled from heaven to earth, he used a round trip ticket with stops along the way. He left the throne for the manger, the manger for the cross, the cross for the tomb, and the tomb for the throne. He left blessings behind at every stop. He emptied himself, he emptied himself so that we might be filled. That's the true story of Christmas. And I love that. Thank you, Dale, for sending that. So as we think about him coming back next time, it's going to be, as I said, totally different. In Matthew chapter 24, it tells us immediately after the tribulation, after that seven-year period of time when the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're going to have control of the planet. They're going to assemble all the armies together from the east and the and the south and the north around Israel to finally destroy and wipe them off the face of the earth. It says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. And then we go to Revelation 19 that describes the moment Christ will return. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, crowns, And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And many theologians believe it's his blood that's on the robe. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule with them, rule with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Bring that full circle back to some verses we often read at Christmas, but we don't think about Revelation. In Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, the prediction of these things happening. For to us, a child is born on Christmas Day. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As we close this morning and begin, or maybe you've already celebrated some with your families, make sure that Jesus is at the center of all that you do. Always be reminded of his passion to bring many sons and daughters home to glory, to be with him and to be with his heavenly father. Our application is this. May we live with expectancy each day in preparation to see the King of Kings through our death or his second advent. I believe we're in those last times. It's very possible that in our lifetime that Jesus could return 
and what I believe is the rapture and to take us up into heaven. And then that seven-year tribulation period and then Jesus' return is very, very eminent. And so as we think about that, our key thought to wrap up this series, The Creeds of Christmas, is this. Jesus came at Christmas because he knew our need and he wanted to personally meet our need. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. As I study these world religions, as I teach them at Scott Community College, it's amazing how, as it says in the Psalms, that they make these images out of wood, out of metal. They don't respond to the people trying to appease them. But we have a God who wants to be with us and have a relationship with us and interact with us at any time. I want to close with this poem. As we think about what is the best Christmas gift we could give to Jesus? What could we give to Jesus? This is a a Christmas carol written by Christina Rossetti. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Each earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow in the bleak midwinter long ago. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away. When he comes to reign in the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Enough for him, whom cherubim worship night and day, a breastful of milk and a manger full of hay. Enough for him, whom angels fall down before, the ox and donkey and camel which adore. Angels and archangels may have gathered there, cherubim and seraphim thronged the air, but only his mother in her maiden bliss Worship the beloved with a kiss. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I can give him my heart. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we just again pause, reflect, meditate on your birth. As I said a few sermons ago, I can't imagine when Jesus was born laying in that manger, what awe and wonder Mary and Joseph had about who this baby was. They had no idea what they were going to encounter, but God had given this Jesus to be their son for them to parent. Lord, help us, like the shepherds, to be in awe and wonder as well. And it says in Luke 2 that they went and proclaimed the great news that the Savior was born. Help us, help us, even this week, even in our celebrations, when we have opportunities and conversations with people at the dinner table or at a side chair, that we would have the opportunity to share with them about the hope that comes at Christmas that so many people are longing and yearning for. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.